Welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening and welcome to Blooming Out on WFHB. I'm Jeff Poling. And I'm Ryan Shaddy. On tonight's episode, we have our featured music and this week's LGBTQ plus news headlines. But first, our interview with Kevin Thornton, the out frontman of the alternative country band, Indiana Queen. You are listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. And um, we are very pleased to have tonight as our guest, Kevin Thornton. And Kevin started and uh, is part of the, uh, the alternative country band, Indiana Queen. And they reside in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, the band is blazing a new path in a traditionally conservative genre. Now, we've, we've played some of their, their music um, on the show in the past, and um, very, very cutting edge, very, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's music that makes you think, it's, um, it, uh, it has a social conscience, it, uh, there, there's so many other things that, uh, that I can say about it, but instead, I'm, I'm going to let Kevin tell us about it. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to, the, to Blooming Out tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, um, so the, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the, the description, um, like I said, uh, when, you, when you look you guys up, uh, for anyone that, that has not heard of Indiana Queen, is, you know, they like to use these, these certain tag words. And, of course, alternative is one of them. Um, yeah. Right? Country, obviously. Um, but, but, you know, just for those not familiar with Indiana Queen, could you describe who they are and what the music is about? Sure. Um, uh, we have been around for a really long time in different incarnations. Um, I moved to Nashville almost 20 years ago uh, with my drummer, Enoch Porch. Um, he actually, uh, we're all, Enoch and I, uh, the two original members, are from Indiana. He grew up in Anderson, Indiana, I think just maybe three hours north of you guys. Sure, yeah. Um, and I grew up in Evansville, Indiana, um, maybe just an hour or two south. Right. From where, you, from where you are. And uh, We moved to Nashville, like I said, almost 20 years ago, and um, in those days, I would not say we were doing uh, country music. It was definitely alternative, okay. sort of a, a folksy spin. There was lots of, you could hear elements of roots music, um, but uh, in those days, like, everyone wanted to sound like Radiohead, and <laughs> that's what was, like, a hot thing, and I think we fell into that a little bit as well, but over the years, I my true musical roots have kind of come to the forefront. I, I grew up listening to Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and uh, and old, like, John Hyatt and Dolly Parton, and a lot of those influences really started to come out, and 
I think also the older I get, the less I care about anyone thinking that I'm cool. <laughs> and I just want to make the best music I can. So today, I would definitely say we're alternative folk with some country influence. Um, I think the media kind of latched on to gay alternative country is like a a selling point. I don't know if I really started out calling us that, but sure. I guess I could see why someone would say that. Right, right. The the Huffing Post, uh, hu- excuse me, Huffington Post said there are tra- traces of uh, Hank Williams, and they said the pulse of Jolene. So when you mentioned the Dolly influence, yeah, yeah, that 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 makes sense. Um, I like that their their description. They said chord progressions that originated in the Baptist hymnal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but influences, yeah. right? Of I, yeah. I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. Okay. Uh, right. And I think that that tension. I mean, the str- the struggle between Jesus and my sexuality mm-hmm. was was super intense in my teenage years. And I think while I mean that struggle is not something I experience today as an adult, I think the the echoes of that struggle are are still in the music. Sure. Sure. Um, the, um, the, so you guys have, um, uh, you've been influenced, like you said, you were influenced by, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash and, 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 and other various artists, but you really have made a a sound that, that truly is, is your own is, is, is what it, it's, it seems to me. Um, did you, did you move to Nashville specifically? I mean, it, it, was that the target town to like make the music happen? Is, is, is that why? You... No, it, it actually totally wasn't. We were going to go to New York. Oh, okay. Uh huh. Yeah. We actually, we, we went to Nashville, uh, just to visit some friends and then we just never left. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I hear, uh, there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of friendly uh a lot of really really good vibes down there yeah um so you have got um how many how many albums or how many releases ha- has indiana queen put out at, to this point well just i mean officially under that title just two and we're working on our third one right now right um but the musical partnership uh, this is we've probably put out outside of the Indiana Queen album, we've put out maybe three or four other albums under different names. Sure, sure. Um, Thornton and Porch? That's right, Right, yeah. okay. And I understand, um, okay, let's see. So it's um, it Had a Sword? It, yeah, that was our first one. First one, okay. And you guys won a Nashville Scene Award in 2004, right? We did. Yeah, I mean, there was a moment, and that when that's, I mean, that was maybe... A couple of years after we showed up in Nashville, and there was a moment <laughs> that it felt like we were about to hit it. I mean, like, people from Los Angeles were flying out to watch us play, and we were selling out clubs all over town, and then uh, the Nashville scene was writing a, a little thing about us, like, once a month, and it really felt like it was about to happen. And at the same time, another band... Uh, was sort of coming up and getting the same attention, um, and that band was Kings of Leon, <laughs> okay. and uh, uh, and Kings of Leon went somewhere, and we just kind of fizzled. I'm not really sure how that happened, but uh, maybe it just 
it wasn't meant to be during that time. But yeah, there was we won we won um, an award for that album, and those were kind of the our Nashville glory days. Um, that was a long time ago. Right, but but now the the um, the well, what the new album, new album, or the the newest one? Tell tell us about your work now. What uh, the new the, the most recent album that you can get right now is called I Fire. Um, it came out uh, just a few months ago. Right. The big difference about that album is um, we decided to go really minimal. Um, I mm-hmm. I bought uh, a, a four-track tape machine uh, that had been restored. Um, it's actually the same model that Bruce Springsteen recorded Nebraska on. Ah, uh, okay, sure. And uh, so just having four tracks and recording on tape like that mm-hmm. really affected the sound. We had to really pare things down and only include what was really necessary in the music. And so I think you can you can really hear that four-track tape machine on that album. It's a lot of harmonies, really simple uh, uh, instrumentation. Right, right. Um, it, yeah. It, it seems like, I mean, when, I, when I'm listening to it, I mean, it's real specific vocal styles and and the, yeah. the vocals really really come out yeah uh, so okay the i i just i i personally love the way country music is just you know maybe beside itself of is it is 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 just slowly being t- tearing open the gay curtain right i mean there are all these yeah. artists that are saying yeah i'm gay um all the these musicians and everything and and it's, and it's really changed a lot, right? Since you guys have, have have been working on it, and since you've been in Nashville for twenty years, what what have you seen happen in 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 the scene? I, I guess maybe good and bad, you know, in that respect. Yeah. Well, I mean, first let me say I don't know if I really have my finger on the pulse of Nashville music business. Yeah. Um, I, there was a time where I was really very involved in Nash in like the Nashville music scene, uh, and I've kind of withdrawn from the city itself a little bit. It, I and I I hate if that's not very romantic sounding, but I just sort of live in Nashville by location. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I, I I don't actually show my face around town a whole lot anymore. Yeah. Um, but um, I will say, you know, in like 2005. You could go down to our little strip of gay bars in Nashville and see uh, a country music superstar. <laughs> and, like, uh, who has since come out? You know, but right. in those days, he hadn't. And or and you would see, you know, half of Sony Music is at the gay bar, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of gay people always have been very involved in the Nashville music business, and just all of them felt like their careers would be destroyed if they came out. Right, right. Um, I, that, I, has, I, that has definitely changed. I, I understand you were actually told to play down the gay thing, right? Quote. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, so how did how did you respond to that when some when someone told you that? I'm just. Um, well, I mean, you got so you got to keep in mind. I mean, that that, that was probably 2004, 2005. Sure. Bush era, like. Yeah. Oh gosh! Yeah. I mean, George Bush campaigned on the, you know, gay marriage and the, you know, family values, and so right an era where I mean, gay people were being heavily politicized, and um, mm-hmm. and you know, 
country music is a conservative genre. Like wow. that said, I wasn't pursuing a country music contract in those days, and I don't know. I think uh, you know I, when I showed up in Nashville, I was maybe you know in my late twenties, and the whole struggle of accepting my sexuality, growing up in a religious community. I think I was just tired of hiding, and I wasn't going to do it for anybody. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. For, I mean, for better or worse, that's what I chose. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, it's um, it, it's it is getting it is getting better. It's it's getting more I- impressive, and whether they are doing it for the label, the publicity, they're they're just it seems to be, you know, uh, just happening more and more and more. More artists in in all styles of music genres are, are are coming out but in in particular like you said the for the country music industry i mean pretty much the the last wouldn't you say the last in in line <laughs> as far as the music styles that oh for sure yeah yeah i mean probably that and hip-hop yeah yeah sure I'll say sure. country music it's still a conservative business and right. the fan base is still a conservative fan base like you see us and Steve Grand, but you still really haven't seen like real deal good old boy in a cowboy hat mm-hmm. on you know big machine records standing next to you know Casey Musgraves being full on gay. Sure, in that you haven't seen that yet. Yeah, right. I mean, we're we're kind of on the fringe. I mean, we're. We're intentionally being not mainstream, you know. Right. But uh, when I when I see the the mainstream country music star, uh, that'll really be something. Right, right. I yeah. I agree. So your um your latest project is is really exciting, and 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 I'm I'm wondering in particular why you have. I don't know if you call it shifted gears a little bit or just expanded, but you are going to, you are producing a musical art film. Yes. Now. Okay. So the, and, and that is going to be the new, it, it, do you consider that, is that the new album, the new, it, right? It's the new album. Yeah. The new album is a, is a film. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, could you just talk a, just a little bit about you know the w- the concept? I understand it's going to be sh- you'll be shooting it in location in Nashville and Evansville, Cincinnati, and you know mm-hmm. the area, right? Um, but yeah, so what it what is it about? Because I've I've seen your 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 videos, and I cannot recommend enough for people to to check these out. They are they're they're honest they're raw they're they're passionate they're you know so many other <laughs> so many other adjectives i i can use and and i think it's awesome but putting it in a full length film um an art film just you know kind of gets me excited actually so what what's what's it all about well so i knew that i wanted to do something Next, like next level with this third album, um, and like you said, like our 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 videos have really been the thing that have put us on the map. Um, the our both of our videos last year uh, went fairly viral, um, 
and a lot of like really big news sources wrote about them. Um, the last one that we did, I mean, and I'm, I make those videos myself. Um, Mm-hmm. And the the last one, like Accidental Bear, which is like a gay lifestyle culture music blog, they featured it. And then from there, the Huffington Post featured it. Right. I woke up the next morning, and like Cosmopolitan had written a thing about it. And, uh, <laughs> oh and wow! That's when it. That's when I was really like, oh, oh wow, <laughs> this is really something. I guess. You know, it, it got like a hundred thousand views in the first week, and um, uh. And so after that, I think some some little light went off in my head of that's where I need to focus my energy and 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 creating not just the music but a complete visual and aesthetic to go with the music. And wow. I mean, I, I think that I'm just still kind of finding myself, but sure. that that experience particularly. Made me realize that like it's not just it's not just the music it's the visuals and it's the aesthetic and I need to I need to do all of it so and, and I mean honestly it, the idea fully clicked when I watched uh, uh, Beyonce's film Lemonade oh really yeah and uh, and I so I mean I'll I'll fully admit that that is a big influence after I watched that I was like this, this is what I'm doing next this is my next step wow and uh, of course not i mean it's not going to look or feel anything like (laughs) right but when i saw like it was like oh wait the album it has it is a it's a film too i love i love that idea wow so i just thought how interesting would it be for i mean she's obviously like a superstar but what how interesting would it be if like a independent alternative folk act yeah, I to pull the, tried to pull this off. <laughs> wow, uh, Beyonce. Okay, so you, so you know you totally just got the gavo right there by saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean it's. I, I want it to be boundary pushing and edgy. I mean, our videos have been that also. Of course. Um, yeah. I you know this album it it has I'm I'm writing about since we've kind of talked about this already I right. I'm writing about. Uh, a lot of the lyrics are about my experience growing up in Indiana in a really religious setting and trying to come to terms with my sexuality. And that's not mm-hmm. something I've really written about in music, uh, at least not in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I, that is what I'm writing about right now. And so, um, and also just we're living in an era where like all the transgender bathroom bills and right. the, the GOP, uh, platform just came out and it is so anti-gay oh wow i mean there's so much anti-gay language in it and they in their minds are dead set on trying to reverse the gay marriage supreme court ruling so like it's gonna there's gonna be a lot of uh social commentary about just the gay experience but not just the gay experience the gay experience in the south right experience you know in in country music so i think there's a lot of room to be edgy and boundary pushing i'm I'm really excited about about absolutely now's the time now's the time right yeah that's cool so okay so one one last question or you can certainly ask me a question or, or or whatever but so i just have to ask you totally off off the subject of indiana queen can you talk about cupcake hawthorne (laughs) I like to think of myself 
as a performance artist above everything. I mean, like, I, I love music. I love playing music and I love writing music. It's something I've done my whole life. But I also, I went to school for musical theater. Uh, I've worked professionally in theater in in my life. And uh, when I really, really started putting all of my energies on Indiana Queen, um, which is, you know, it's kind of serious, somewhat somber music. Sure. Uh, there was a part of me that really needed to express some silliness. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't it was, it, it's all kind of blurry. Like maybe three or four years ago, someone asked me if I would host karaoke in like a weird drag character. Uh-huh. And I, I, I did it and had a blast. <laughs> Um, and it just kind of kept growing and getting refined. And then I, I actually started recording music as Cupcake Hawthorne. So it's, uh, it's just, it's very silly. It's, um, sure. I, I actually have a little bit of a stand-up act as that character. And, um, and she, she makes an appearance once in a while. <laughs> right. I, I understand that. I, I kind of follow her myself. I actually, <laughs> um, so, so, um, Cupcake was out in um, in L.A. right for the yeah yeah that that had to have been an experience yeah I went to RuPaul's Drag Con and <laughs> um, and I mean I I do kind of have I I mean I'm, I mean I I am occasionally exploring that world because I think Cupcake uh, needs to be seen by there's there's a there's a segment of the population that needs to love cupcake right I, I i put her out there once in a while hoping she'll stick <laughs> well i i think she will and and i'll tell you the uh the music of indiana queen definitely needs to um you know it needs to be heard i cannot recommend enough for for people to to check you guys out you have you are um working on the musical art film so yeah. okay so how uh how, what, what are the best ways for people to to find out about you kevin yeah, just go to indianaqueen.com. Yeah. That's where, you, you know, the the information gets posted. Right. You can follow me on Facebook also. I post stuff there as well. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, the we're recording right now. We're actually shooting the film in September. It's going to turn around pretty quickly. We want to have uh, the film online and viewable by the holidays this year. Um, and then the the music from the film, the actual album itself, will be on iTunes in January in oh. 2017. Okay, all right. Yeah, and, but, and, um, and you've got like a a, a deal, or, or I don't know if you call it that, but just uh, where people that do that can also download your previous uh, releases. Yeah, is that right? We're actually we're we're doing a, a pledge music campaign right now and if you go to indianaqueen.com there's a, a obvious link to to find it but right. there's a video that tells you about the project so if you if you pre-order it through that uh you'll actually immediately get uh, a download of our first two albums just included and then when the music is finished you'll get that download as well cool um even before anybody else does really it won't go live on itunes until next year but we're going to put it up on through the pledge music thing as, as soon as we're done right and and again um after all that is is uh, uh the campaign the funds are raised and everything um that five percent of the money raised after the goal is reached will go to the trevor project right yes that's right yep awesome Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for for taking some time and and talking to us about your work and uh, everything that's going on. And 
I hope you won't be a stranger. We're, we're definitely going to continue to feature your, your work here on Blooming Out. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, thanks Kevin. Take care. And now from the latest album, I Build a Fire, here is Indiana Queen with I Don't Know What to Do With This. Every time I move, it's laced with temptation. Like a signal coming through But can't pick up the station I don't know what to do with this There's passion in your goodbye kisses And you, you say that you don't feel that way Every time you move there's a hesitation Something so small Fucks the translation I don't know what to do with this This passion in your goodbye kisses Then you say that you don't feel that way I don't know what to do with this Advances are coming off as near misses And you say that you don't feel that way mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with this At first it was desire but now it's just wishes And you, you say that you don't feel that way time for our weekly LGBTQ plus news roundup. Rightwingwatch.org is reporting that Donald Trump may be letting Republican leaders have their way with the GOP platform. The Republican Party's platform committee started meeting in Cleveland earlier this week to hash out final language that will be presented to delegates at the Republican National Convention next week. Religious right activists have been gearing up for months to make sure that the platform keeps the anti-gay and anti-abortion language they say will be needed to secure social conservatives' loyalty to the GOP in November. A a draft shared with members of the platform committee on Sunday night reportedly keeps the party's anti-abortion position intact and continues the party's opposition to marriage equality. Though the draft reportedly abandons a previous call for a constitutional amendment, banning marriage for same-sex couples nationwide in favor of leaving the decision on marriage to the states. In May, right-wing Iowa Representative Steve Keene, Republican of Iowa, told Fox News that his goal was to let as many solid constitutional conservatives to Cleveland and onto the Platform and Rules Committee. That same month, the New York Times reported that Ted Cruz supporters, including former Virginia Attorney General Ken Cusinelli, 
were out to fill the rules and platform committees with strong conservative voices. In 2012, platform committee deliberations were dominated by a handful of right-wing activists who stripped out or batted away any moderating language, including tepid language about treating all people equally under the law. A religious right stalwart, then-Virginia Governor Bob McDonald, chaired the committee and made it clear that he wanted no distracting fights. The final result was the most conservative platform ever, calling the criminalization excuse me, calling for the criminalization of all abortions without exception and decrying marriage equality as an assault on the foundations of our society. It looks like Trump may be following the same strategy of keeping the religious right happy by letting them have their way with the platform. On Sunday, the Times' Jeremy Peters reported that Trump is keeping his distance from battles that have been brewing over the platform's anti-gay language. All the co-chairs have solid right-wing records. Fox, for example, has fought marriage equality and sought to strip Planned Parenthood of federal funding. Last month, she told attendees at Ralph Reed's Road to Majority Conference, if people of faith are not involved in political life, then you're leaving it to the Philistines. Some of the same activists who wrote 2012's far-right platform are back on this year's committee, which consists of two delegates elected by each state party and leaders chosen by the Republican National Committee. Among the members of this year's platform committee, Tony Perkins, head of the intensely anti-gay and anti-choice Families Research Council, who has publicly stated that his support for Trump's nomination will require a platform that does not include any watering down of language on social issues. David Barton, discredited historian, whose Christian nation ideology has infused much of the religious right and the GOP. James Bopp, a far-right lawyer who has, held, who has led legal attacks on campaign finance laws and represented anti-abortion and anti-equality groups. In 2012, Bopp vocally opposed a young delegate's uh, proposal that the party recognize civil unions, which he denounced as counterfeit marriage. Then there's also Lynn Munsell, founder of Right Wing Center for Arizona Policy, uh, Republican nominee for governor in 2006. Uh, he was crushed, by the way, by Janet Napolitano and current president of Arizona Christian University. LifeSite News said Munsell agrees both on the importance of the GOP's moral stance and the need to stand up for it in Cleveland. Munsell was among the recipients of the, of the 2015 letter from then-candidate Mike Huckabee to religious right leaders vowing to refuse to surrender to the false god of judicial supremacy. Among others identified by the New York Times, there is Cynthia Dunbar of Virginia who has compared the gay rights movement to Nazism. Hardy Billington, a committee member from Missouri, placed an ad in a local paper asserting that homosexuality kills people at two to three times the rate of smoking. And Mary Frances Forrester of North Carolina has claimed that the homosexual agenda is trying to change the course of Western civilization. In the spring, after Perkins was elected to represent Louisiana on the platform committee, he bragged, In 2012, my role as a delegate gave me the opportunity to play a key role in amending the marriage plank, which led to the committee approving a much stronger version than 2008's. We also tightened language on, on obscenity and pornography, protected conscious rights, explained how abortion hurts women, and supported the Second Amendment in, D in D.C. In a June fundraising letter, Perkins touted his return to the platform committee 
while warning that homosexual activist groups, pro-abortion groups, and special interests are trying to transform the Republican platform to make it more like the anti-Christian, anti-religious, radical, humanist, secularist viewpoint. He said, uh, he said was reflected in the Democratic platform. By the way, JP, I don't think that those sound too bad to me, actually. <laughs> Uh, never before have we planned to exert so much influence on a political party's convention as we are regarding the Republican convention less than 50 days from now in Cleveland. Again, this is going back uh, towards from, uh, towards from uh, let's see, who was that here? Uh, uh, Perkins again. Uh, I will serve as an official member of the 112-member platform committee with our entire action team supporting me in order to make the greatest impact possible again, regardless of the nominee, for faith, family, and freedom. What goes into the official party platform could make a monumental difference in shaping public policy decision for our nation in the next four years. And as a result, it will impact our lives and the lives of our families and our churches. In other words, taking us back to Neanderthal times, JP. Here's how the battle has been shaping up on LGBT equality. After anti-gay religious right activists got what they wanted in the 2012 platform, LGBT Republicans and their allies launched an organized and well-funded campaign to get better language in the 2016 platform, an effort that conservative leaders have vocally resisted. Quote, Conservative forces need to understand there is a serious challenge and they need to take it seriously, warned, warned Jim Bopp, a social conservative activist who was influential in designing the 2012 GOP platform. Similarly, Eagle Forum President Ed Martin said, We're prepared for the fight. It's a hand-to-hand -hand combat. Some pro-LGBT Republicans have seen Trump's primary victory as an opportunity since he does not seem to share the religious rights anti-gay ideological convictions, though he has publicly supported their opposition to marriage equality and pleaded, pledged to appoint conservatives to the Supreme Court. But Trump seems uninterested in standing up for LGBT people if it means picking a fight with his new pals in the religious right, including somebody we will discuss here soon, Mike Pence of Indiana. Uh, for example, Trump has retracted his earlier criticism of North Carolina's recently passed anti-LGBT law, saying that he now supports it. Some change in the platform language will be required to deal with the changed reality caused by the Supreme Court's 2015 ruling that made marriage equality the law of the land. CBS News reported over the weekend that moderate Republicans are drafting an amendment that would soften the GOP's official position on gays and lesbians. According to CBS, some conservatives may be willing to accept general equality for all people language that they rejected in 2012 as a way to keep the fighting at a minimum. David Barton told CBS that there might be rhetorical changes in how it's communicated, but I don't think support for natural marriage will diminish, will diminish at all. The new draft platform will be debated and amended this week. It does include an explicit rejection of the Supreme Court's marriage equality ruling, calling for reversal, whether through judicial reconsideration or a constitutional amendment, which I don't think that they'll get through, but good luck with that. Sometimes I think they are really, really, really just, uh, they, they don't know what's going on in this country. They don't have the pulse on it. Given the high-profile fight, or maybe they do, I don't know, <laughs> uh, 
given the profi- high-profile fight over North Carolina's House Bill 2 and social conservatives' efforts to create panic over the idea of transgender people using bathrooms that match their gender identity, it seems likely that the platform will include some anti-transgender language, something Cusinelli told the New York Times that he thought delegates should do. Similarly, right-wing strategist Richard uh, Vigari told LifeSite News that spring and that this spring that Trump has zero chance of changing the abortion plank uh, in the platform. Uh, some state previews here. Some state parties had their own versions of these platform battles. In May, for example, delegates to the Illinois GOP convention overwhelmingly voted to retain a plank defining marriage as between one man and one woman, rejecting proposed language that non-traditional families are worthy of the same respect and legal protections as traditional families. Uh, Texas also uh, called for legislation requiring people to use facilities that correspond with their biologically determined sex, and in the words of the Texas Tribune, included strong disapproval of gay lifestyles and no state restrictions on access to sexual orientation change efforts, uh, change efforts for self-motivated youth and adults. With more on the Republican Party platform, here's a piece by The Raw Story, which notes a tearful plea to fellow delegates from a gay GOP supporter. Not only did the Republican Party's platform committee on Monday lash out against the legalization of same-sex marriage, it paid seemingly no mind to a tearful appeal from the group's only gay member, The Hill reported. We all agree about the importance of the institution of marriage. We are asking to join in that institution, Rachel Hoff said during the first platform planning meeting in Cleveland, We're your daughters, your sons, your neighbors, colleagues, and the couples that sit next to you in church. Hoff, who is from Washington, D.C., proposed an amendment to the party's platform stating that the party would both acknowledge popular support for marriage equality and welcome a thoughtful conversation among Republicans about the meaning and importance of marriage and to commit to respect for all families. According to The Hill, she was choking back tears at times as she made the case for her proposal. I'm not asking you to endorse my own constitutional rights, she said. I'm only asking you to recognize that many of the Republicans who sent us here to do work this week to shape the platform agree with me and should be excluded from the party, or should not be excluded from the party. Instead, her idea was overwhelmingly defeated. As LGBTQ Nation reported, the platform's current draft calls for a reversal of the Supreme Court's 2015 ruling legalizing marriage equality around the country. Our laws and our government's regulations should recognize marriage as the union of one man and one woman and actively promote married family life as the basis of a stable and prosperous society, the draft states. We're going to get into a little bit more with Rachel Huff. Uh, we're going to discuss Time Magazine, um, who who actually has an in-depth article with the first openly gay delegate to the GOP convention, um, speaking uh, to Huff soon after her discussion uh, here to the delegate pr- platform. Over the last two days, Rachel Huff has considered leaving the Republican Party for the first time in her life. The think tank defense analyst from Washington, D.C., who is the first openly gay Republican to serve on her party's platform committee, sat through a slow march of disappointments that led her to that point days before the 2016 convention. Her peers voted down every amendment that offered 
softened, or inclusive language about the LGBT community, instead doubling down on the belief that marriage is between only one man and one woman and other socially conservative positions. On Monday, Hoff made an emotional appeal, as you just heard, asking the committee to replace some of those sentiments with language she had crafted, stating that marriage is a fundamentally important institution and that there are a diverse and sincerely held views on marriage within the party. We are your daughters, we are your sons, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, the couple who sits next to you in church, she said. Freedom means freedom for everyone, including gays and lesbians. And all I ask today is you include me and those like me. By an unofficial vote of about 30 to 82, the amendment failed. Here's the discussion with Hoff. How did you become a Republican as a young woman? It was when I was in high school and we were having a debate in my government class about whatever the issues of the day were back in the 90s. And after we had that debate, my teacher came up to me and told me he thought I was a Republican. And it was not a good thing. It was almost like he was warning me that I might be Republican. My parents were not into politics at all, and so I didn't really know what Democrats and Republicans stood for. So I went home and probably asked, geez, what Republicans stand for. What I read really resonated with my own beliefs and principles. I was coming into a young adult. So what do Republicans stand for in your view, uh, was asked, Hoff was asked. What the internet told me <laughs> was that they stood for individual freedom, for limited government, for the idea that you could make your own decisions better uh, than the government could make them for you whether that was decisions about how to spend your personal life or decisions about how to spend your money, and a strong national defense. That was something that was always very important to me and went on to define my career. Another question by time. When did you first realize there were parts of that party that don't approve of homosexuality? I remember that was a very, very hard day for me. I went to a college in Massachusetts, and my senior year was 2004. That was the year the state Supreme Court issued their ruling, which allowed same-sex marriage uh, in the first in the country, a real landmark case. My senior year was also when I realized I was gay. So I had just come out, and I went down to the state capitol to observe the protest. There was this gay community, which I was intrigued by but not part of, and there there were the conservatives on the other side, who I had this political belief that I was supposed to be for because that's what you believed if you were a conservative. And I didn't feel part of either group. And I wanted to be a part of. Excuse me. And I didn't really know what group I wanted to be a part of. But the conservatives' rhetoric and their signs and their whole approach was very hurtful, very offensive. At this point, more than a decade later, uh, another question by time, do you still have the same feeling of being torn between two groups or have you reconciled that ambivalence? How She gets that question a lot, saying, how can you be gay and Republican? Those are both parts of who I am, so I don't have to re- reconcile them. I have to reconcile my interactions with both of those communities and both of their beliefs about the other community, even including the last two days. I have received more backlash and op- opposition in the gay community for being Republican than I have in Republican cir- circles for being gay. Socially, it's just very, very unacceptable within the community to say mean things about about the Republicans, too, when you meet a gay Republican, to accuse them of being a self-hating gay person. 
whereas for Republicans, there is certainly a lot of harmful rhetoric and hurting, hurtful rhetoric. We see that in the platform we passed this week, but on a personal basis, I can't think of a single time where anybody has said anything mean to my face other than not supporting my constitutional rights. Clearly, that's offensive to me in a different way. Another question by time. What did you think of uh, what did you think being on the platform committee was going to be like, and what were you hoping to achieve? Hoff ran for the platform committee because uh, she wanted to attempt to soften soften language on LGBT issues. Although she does have other priorities like national security issues and representing D.C. First of all, it was important that I be vocal about being gay. I've been out for 10 years now. So it's not like I came out of the platform committee, but I really wanted to say it there because I thought it was really important that the people in the room, particularly those who are in favor of traditional marriage and against LGBT rights, be reminded that they were talking to a gay person. When our platform comes out next week, it's going to be a big letter to all Americans, including LGBT Americans, about why they should vote for us, and right now I don't think they have much reason to do so. I hope that I might have some sort of softening effect on what people said and did. It does not appear to have had that effect based on the language that came out of the committee. But I still think that it's important for people to know that you're in the room. She carries on, did you think that you could get the votes uh, if, um, or were you more intent on saying uh, your piece? Uh, she really wanted uh, to, to get the uh, marriage equality uh, support for the Supreme Court uh, Obergefell decision or to embrace LGBT rights or to address the transgender bathroom uh, issue. Actually, that amendment was not uh, for those things. She really wanted to keep focus on what uh, she thought was a reasonable approach, just acknowledging and respecting that Republicans have different beliefs on these issues. Had I gone there with some sort of marriage equality amendment, I certainly would have had zero hope that it would have passed. I was optimistic that the amendment that I offered would get more support, but I don't think, uh, but I don't think there was was a time where I thought it would pass. Uh, time asks, what do you make of that rigidity? I don't know. It could be just extremely well organized or tightly controlled influence from the traditional marriage activist. It could also be that people are afraid of some slippery slope wherein that would put us down that path towards supporting LGBT rights, Hoff said. Or maybe there's a concern that even a single positive reference would hurt us with the social conservatives, but I think that's absurd. I give social conservatives more credit than being turned off by language like that. So really, what is the risk um, the party is running of alienating young voters by not uh, being more inclusive of the LGBT community? The demographic realities are clear on the issue. Young voters overwhelmingly support marriage equality, and even young Republican voters support marriage equality. There's a lot in the Republican Party that could appeal to young voters, but they won't even consider voting Republican because of our stance on the issue. Right now, our party is not even an option for them, by and large, and that's not the reason we should evolve on those issues. The reason why we need to change our stance is that it's the right thing to do and because it's in line with Republican principles of liberty, freedom, and equality. You mentioned that you had given some thought to being an independent over the last couple of days as these meetings went on. What frustration brought you to that point, asked Time Magazine. It wasn't the marriage stuff. I had anticipated that my amendment would not pass, 
Hoff said. It was the amendments where the committee members refused to even stand with the basic human rights of LGBT individuals. We name so many individual groups in that document, and let's name LGBT people when they refuse to even do that. I thought, what do you e- we even stand for? Why am I even here? These last few days is the first time I ever thought about leaving the Republican Party, but I've decided not to. And why not, Time asks. Her spirits were lifted in certain ways by what happened this week. There was a lot of of good that came out of the platform compared to 2012. Uh, Definitely fewer sections of the platform have anti-LGBT language, and some include language about employment, non-discrimination. Also, I was really encouraged by the number of people who raised their hand and voted for respecting the diversity of opinion in the party on marriage. There's clearly a lot more work to be done, and if me and people like me advocates for LGBT rights, we will all just leave. Then the party's never going to get better, so the plan is to stay. The Advocate is reporting on continuing drama in Congress about LGBT discrimination. Exactly one month after a mass shooting that targeted LGBT and Latino people left 49 dead, Republicans in the House are holding a hearing on whether to let American business owners and government contractors to refuse service to LGBT people. The bill being considered in testimony today before the Republican-controlled House Committee on Oversight and Government Regulation Uh, reform would allow businesses and individuals to refuse service if they cited a sincerely held religious belief or moral conviction. Formerly known as the First Amendment Defense Act, H.R. 2802 would create a national religious discrimination law allowing businesses and government workers to refuse goods and services to customers who offend their religious sensibilities. Of course, LGBT people would be a natural target of the act, but the bill is also explicit in singling out gay and bisexual people. It specifically allows people with a religious belief or moral conviction that marriage is or should be recognized as the union of one man and one woman, or that sexual relations are properly reserved to such a marriage to turn away same-sex spouses or those hoping to wed. The bill would make it impossible for aggrieved LGBT people to petition the federal government when they experience such discrimination. Through the bill's author, though the bill's authors, anti-gay Republican Representative Raul Labrador of Idaho and GOP Senator Mike Lee of Utah referred to the bill as a defense of the First Amendment. The name is misleading. As Think Progress points out, the First Amendment does not allow religious people to arbitrarily discriminate against those they don't like, at least according to the Supreme Court. When right-wing Christians attempted to turn away mixed-race couples from their businesses, the high court intervened by ruling that religious beliefs don't trump the rights of others. All right, so we are heading into our next music break uh, this evening from Huffington Post. The stunning video for our next song, Caller, depicts a biracial same-sex relationship showing Hall canoodling amidst flowers and waterfalls with Quantico and Broadway actor Jay Armstrong Johnson, who also lends his vocals to the track. Maybe the world will never understand our kind of love, Hall sings. I'd like to be the kind of man you'd like to love. We've got to write the love. Collar is a cut from Straight Out of Oz. Straight Out of Oz. Straight Outta 
Oz, <laughs> hauls a 17-song Beyonce-style visual album, which was released June 23rd. It really is a subtle nod to The Wizard of Oz, uh, gradually shifting from black and white to color as the music swells, much like the film. So here's Color featuring J. Armstrong Johnson uh, by Todrick Hall. I had a girlfriend. She fit perfectly into my black and white world and I was proud to call her mine until Gareth. The butterflies I had had up until then felt like little baby moths in comparison to this feeling. And he was from London. We spoke the same language, but sometimes I couldn't understand the thing he was saying. But that was fine by me. He taught my heart to love. He introduced me to me. And for the first time in my life, he helped me see color. Every day before today was never gray. It's always black and white until tonight, yeah. I wasn't expecting her to have me seeing sepia and shades of light, but it feels so right, yeah. The way you touch me, the way you hold me, my heart's about to burst. You are the first to really know me. I wanna love, but first I need someone to show me. Afraid to fall at first, but that's the old me. There's something about you that makes my skies blue. And whenever we're through, all I can do is see color. There's something about us when we're together. And whenever you're there, everywhere I see color. Every second you can bet my heart's collecting little butterflies When I see those eyes, yeah When our hearts collide, I hope our world is a kaleidoscope Cause black and white never shine so bright, yeah The way you touch me, the way you tease me I'm trying not to fall for you, but falling seems so easy My heart was locked, but boy, you got the key to free me Invisible to love, but boy, you see there's something about you that makes my skies blue And whenever we're through, all I can do is see color There's something about us when we're together And whenever you're there, everywhere I see color And maybe the world will never understand our kind of love Say that's quite enough My sky's blue And whenever we're through All I can do is see color There's something about us When we're together And whenever you're there Darling, I swear I don't see color Support for WFHB and Blooming Out comes from the back door Downtown Bloomington Square's bar, dance club, and venue from live bands and DJs to drag shows and karaoke, there's something for everyone every day of the week. The back door is located at 207 South College in the alley behind Atlas Bar. More information can be found on Facebook or online at bckdoor.com. For our last music break this evening, we turn to Homerazi for an introduction to our next artist. 
following the recent police shootings of Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and the police officers shot dead in Dallas, Victorio Monet and Ariana Grande team up for better days. The two friends and frequent collaborators deliver somber lyrics, hoping for a more peaceful future on the moving track. She wishes in Instagram uh, that uh, Black Lives Matter and to all the lives taken pointlessly, we will not let you be forgotten. You have sparked change in this world with your angel wings. Rest in peace. Here is Better Days by Victoria Monet featuring Ariana Grande. You're listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. That was Here Is Better Days uh, by Victoria Monet featuring Ariana Grande. If you'd like to add your event to our event calendar, please email us at bloomingout at wfhb.org. You can also call us at 
323-1200, tweet us at bloomingoutwfhb, or visit our Blooming Out Facebook page, or find us on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Before we end this evening, we'd like to send a special thank you to one of our board engineers for the past year. Andrew Sims will be leaving our show and heading on to greater endeavors after his graduation from Indiana University this past May. From all of us here at WFHB and Blooming Out, thank you for your time and commitment to our cause. We wish you the best in your bright future. The executive producer of Blooming Out is Joe Crawford. The producer is Ryan Shaddy. Board engineer is Sarah Hetrick. For Blooming Out and Jeff Pulling, I'm Ryan Shaddy. Tune in again next week at 6 p.m. or listen to us online at bloomingout.com. Thank you for joining us on Blooming Out. Be sure to find us online for past episodes, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and more at bloomingout.com. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. for Blooming Out on WFHB.